0: Well, uh, this is the part where I usually say it's good to see you, only I can't see you. So let me just say how great it is that you're tuned in to worship with us in our live stream service. Uh, I'm David. I'm the, I'm the senior pastor. If you're uh, just kind of tuning in for the first time, if this is not your normal church home, uh, maybe your church doesn't uh, have the capability to live stream, or maybe you're just at a point in your life where you just uh, wanted to find a place on, tele, on, on television, or on the internet, or however, to worship. We're just glad you're with us. And uh, we want you to always feel welcome uh, to be a part of things. We live in a great time, really, when you think about it. Uh, with all that's going on, the, the capabilities we have just to worship with this this way, Live streaming. Uh, some folks will probably watch this at a later time uh, on a delayed basis. It's, it's amazing. This past week, our small group, my small group, my connect group, uh, we, we couldn't meet together. So what we did is we just got on Zoom. I never even knew of Zoom. And now I'm Zooming this week. And that's a new experience for me. And most of our small groups are Zooming. I think our youth are actually going to have a Zoom meeting this afternoon. So amidst all of this, it's opportunities. For us, just to connect, connect with the Lord, and so we 're so glad uh, that you 're here in in the eighties. Uh, there was a television show uh, that starred uh, George Pupard. Uh He played a character known as uh, Colonel Hannibal Smith. And you probably know when I'm talking about the A-Team, if you can go back that far. And, and um, the A-Team was a really cool show. And, uh, you know, it's this renegade group of commandos that were kind of wanted by the military. And from week to week, they were kind of working behind the scenes and, and you know, kind of covert ways to solve all these problems. And, and, and for every problem... Hannibal Smith always had a plan. And at the end of the show, when everything worked out, he would, he would just say, you know, it's always great when a plan comes together. The thing about it is the plan didn't always go so smoothly, though. Usually at some point in the show, it looked like the plan was going to fall apart, and then everything would work out. You know, it, it, it happens in life that sometimes you realize the plans that we make don't always seem to come to fruition When you come to the cross of Jesus, it really appears like whatever plan God had was failing. I mean, it looked like Jesus was a complete failure. So whatever plan God had in store at the cross, it looked like it was failing. But the truth of the matter is this. At the cross, the plan of God was actually coming together. We're in a series leading up to Easter entitled Jesus on the Cross, we're looking at the seven words of Christ. Christ made seven statements while he was on the cross. Now, we've seen four of them so far, and one of the things I've shared with you repeatedly is to understand that three of these statements are kind of grouped together at the very beginning of the crucifixion at about 9 a.m., and at that time, Jesus, he made some statements. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He, he turned and ran and turned, but he talked to the thief on the cross and said, uh, you'll be with me today in paradise, he, he kind of looked at his mother, Mary, and said, woman, behold your son, pointing to John. These three statements that Jesus made were for the benefit of others. While he was hanging on the cross, he was doing things. He was forgiving, saving, loving to help other people. Four statements occurred at the very end of his time on the cross about three o'clock. We saw one last week when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Today we're going to come and see him say, I thirst. It kind of goes together with what we'll see next week when he says, it is finished. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll see Jesus say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. These four statements have to do with the mission of Jesus. They're very personal as Jesus suffers and dies for us. And he's expressing in his relationship with God, his understanding of why uh, he came. So today, having seen the forgiveness, having seen the salvation, having seen the love and the abandonment, we come uh, to the suffering found in John 19, verses 28 through 29. And um, here's what it says After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge uh, full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop. And brought it up to his mouth. So here's the thing. As we come to this message today, here's what I want you to see from this message. It's really important. The suffering of Jesus took all the sin, all the rebellion, took all of the rejection of the world against God and brought it right where God wanted it to be on the cross. Understand. That all the sin in the world, all the rebellion in the world, all the rejection in the world, it did not frustrate, it did not stop the plan of God. For the plan of God was to take it right to the cross. And so this morning as we begin our message, I want to ask this question. Who in their right mind would make this up? One of the things that, you know, that I hear quite regularly or I read Uh, that is common in some circles, even within Christianity, but certainly among those outside of Christianity, is that the early church, the early believers, sometime in the end of the first century, going into the second century, and on until they came to some of the councils, they just made stuff up. They made up the stories about Jesus. They made up the miracles. They made up some of the things he's taught. It's not that Jesus wasn't a real person. It's just that the early church, in order to justify their existence, made stuff up. Now think about the logic of this just for a moment. The early church existed, we know, because of the things that Jesus said and because the apostles of Jesus took what he said and what he did, the miracles, the resurrection. And they took the resurrection and the gospel message and they took it places and they started the church. That's why the church existed. So what people are saying, despite all the evidence, some people say that the stories that explain why the church existed were stories they made up after the church existed. Now, this kind of logic is is circular. It's nonsensical. The fact that there's no evidence for that is one thing, but the fact that it's illogical. Now, why are we saying this? Why am I bringing this up? Because at the cross, there's some important things that happen that bear this out, the foolishness of all of this. To, To get a firmer grasp, realize that by the end of the first century, uh, The church was being persecuted. It was being tremendously persecuted all throughout the Roman world. Most believers were Gentile in nature. I mean, they they were just Gentile. At the end of the first century, there were thousands of Christians in hundreds of communities spread throughout dozens of countries. They spoke dozens of different languages. They expressed dozens of different cultures. And we're supposed to believe that somehow this vastly diverse group of people, Not the original authors, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not Paul, not Peter. Not the people that the evidence points to as writing the New Testament. But that these people in all this diverse situation, with all this persecution going on, somehow assembled all these things that we find, especially in the Gospels. That in doing so, these Gentiles made sure that the four different Gospel stories, of which they're remarkably similar but have some differences, not conflict, but just some differences of approach, that these four stories also managed at the same time to take all the things in the Jewish scriptures. And the Jews, remember at this point, were not following Jesus, very few were. For the most part, it was all Gentiles. But these Gentiles were taking Jewish writings and making the stories about Jesus fit the Jewish writings. And in all of this, they focused on two miracles, two unbelievable supernatural events. One of them was the birth of Jesus, the incarnation. And the other was the resurrection of Jesus. If you could take either one of those and show them to be untrue, Christianity would collapse. They were doing all of this. And oh, by the way, one of those miracles, the resurrection was focused on the cross. And the cross happened to be this unbelievable scandal of a way to die. In other words, the early church made everything up and built it around the cross, the suffering, the dying of Jesus, their Savior. Well, who in their right mind would do that? Well, people didn't do that. I mean, the thing about the cross is it's the amazing thing is that it shows us that God had his plan. In verse 28. John writes, after this, now, after this kind of follows the story of of Mary, uh, Jesus telling Mary that John would take care of her. Those things occurred about six hours apart, so most likely what John is saying is not necessarily after Jesus giving Mary to John, but after a period of time, after all the things of the cross have been done. He says, Jesus, knowing that all things have been accomplished, now, the focus is on Jesus, And it's on Jesus' knowing, the word for knowing here the way it's written in the Greek text, is the idea of having this absolute perfect knowledge, of being aware of all things, all the things that had been accomplished. Next week's message uh, is on the sixth saying of Jesus, which follows right after this. In verse 30, if you would keep reading, Jesus says, after he says, I am thirsty, he says, it is finished. Normally, uh, these two kind of go together. In fact, I've never, in, in 40 years now, I've never just preached about Jesus saying, I am thirsty. Uh, I am for this series. So what I'm going to do is the, the part about everything has been accomplished, I'm going to talk about that later, next week, when he talks about, you know, it is finished. The word accomplished that, that John uses, now John is writing in the Greek, the people, Jesus would have spoke Aramaic if you saw that last week. The word accomplished and the word we see uh, in verse 30, it is finished, that phrase, it comes from the exact same Greek word. It's not only the same Greek word, it's written the exact same way, to telestai, we're going to see that next week, but it means to bring to an end. So after things have been done, Jesus, knowing everything had come to an end just the way God wanted it. See, here's the thing. It's not just that Jesus had to die. He didn't just have to die for our sin. He had to die the right way at the right time. Jesus didn't just have to die for our sin. He had to die the right way, and he had to die at the right time. He had to fit God's plan. So knowing everything had been accomplished, we are told that to fulfill the scriptures, Jesus says, I am thirsty. You know, the I am thirsty part you know, would come from the dehydration. I don't like to dwell on the actual physical suffering of Christ. It's important. You can read all about it. But the gospel writers don't spend a lot of time talking about the physical suffering. He did suffer. And the thirst was from the suffering, the dehydration that would have occurred. He had, had just saw, said, we saw this last week from Matthew and Mark. You now, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took everything he had to cry that out. Now, he, he was thirsty. And Jesus says, I thirst. And, and they took uh, uh, some sour wine, some cheap wine that the soldiers had, and they gave it to him. Now, this wine isn't the same as the wine offered to Christ at the very beginning of the crucifixion, at the very beginning of the crucifixion, the wine that was offered to Christ uh, was a wine mixed with a sedative that would have deadened the pain. This was something completely different. This was a, just the cheapest sort of wine they had. It kind of helped quench the thirst. And so that's what they offered to Christ. Now, what's important about this Is in many ways this kind of this kind of satisfies or fulfills uh, something that is written in the Book of Psalms, Psalm chapter sixty nine, verse twenty one. In Psalm sixty nine, this is a Psalm of David. He is he's just he's being oppressed by his enemy. David feels like he's absolutely about to be completely and totally defeated. In fact, Psalm 69 begins with David saying, save me, God, save me. It's a cry from David for God to save him. And in verse 21 of Psalm 69, he says, in my thirst, I was given sour Wine And so in, in many ways, what this is doing is Jesus is kind of, he's kind of taking that and he is fulfilling what was said. Now, the reason this is important is because in adopting Psalm 69, what Jesus is doing then is he is taking that Psalm, which deals with David's oppression, feeling separated from God, suffering, crying out to God for help, and he's making it own. Jesus is suffering. Now, all of this, it says is to complete or to fulfill scripture. So we need to kind of get a grasp of what this means. Is he just fulfilling what is written in Psalm 69:21 or is it something bigger? Uh, Depending on your version, it may say to fulfill or in order that the scriptures might be completed. That little word in the New American Standard, which I read from too, or if you have uh, that or in order that, translates a little Greek word. Now, I know people, you know, you don't really care about Greek, and I get that. Uh, I I understand. I don't really care about Greek most of the time. It's my crates and seminary oftentimes reflected. But there's advantages. Sometimes you need to know a few things that are written in the original language. This is a little word, the Greek word is henna. In English, we would spell it h-i-n-a. So whenever you're reading through the Greek uh, and you read this word henna, you stop because you know it's extremely important. It either speaks of a result or a purpose. Here it speaks of a purpose. So what, what John is saying is that the phrase Jesus speaks out, I am thirsty. He says it has a purpose. And that purpose is to complete or fulfill something. Here again, the word for it is finished or it is accomplished is used. It's used in a different form, but it's the same thing. Something has been finalized. What has been finalized? What has been completed? John tells us Scripture has. Now, to John and to the people of that day, Scripture is what we call the Old Testament. It's the Jewish Old Testaments, or the Old Testaments, the Jewish scripture, we know as, as, as the Old Testament writings. So, you know, we've got to kind of understand what it means to recognize that, that it had been, the scriptures. And all of it, in essence, what John's saying is all of the scriptures that the Jews had, all of that we call the Old Testament, had come now to an end, to a completed state. There are four great pillars of the Christian faith. I teach this quite often, or at least from time to time. Uh, those pillars are of the faith, we're, the foundation of, our, of everything in Christianity is Jesus. But there's four pillars that kind of rise up that we're supported on. It's, two are found in the Old Testament, creation and revelation. Two are unique to the New Testament. We would understand, those to be the, understand that to be the incarnation of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. The incarnation and resurrection are so important that it, you know, if you can destroy those pillars, Christianity crumbles. As I said many times, Christianity rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. The, the first two pillars go back to the very beginning of anything. In Genesis 1, we're told, in the beginning, God created. And here we find those first two pillars. We find creation that God created. And then we find revelation. Revelation. Something was revealed to us. How do we know God created? Because God revealed to us. Nobody was there. Moses who wrote the Genesis wasn't there. God had to reveal that to him. God reveals things to us. And the importance of that is simply this. All we know about God, we know because God reveals. Scripture is God specifically revealing important things to us. And so in essence, What John is saying in this phrase, that I am thirsty, as Jesus suffered, in this comes to a conclusion of the old way, at least the original scriptures, what God has revealed to us, has come to a final point. What is that final point? It's Jesus. That's what it is. So here's the thing. The suffering of Jesus on the cross. This is great. The suffering of Jesus on the cross completed a salvation journey that began the moment Adam sinned. What do you think about that? Jesus on the cross brought to a completion, an end, the salvation journey that began when? When Adam sinned. If you go to the book of Genesis, where, where scripture begins. And you know, you have God creating and God created man, and God had this great relationship with man. Adam and Eve, we're told in Genesis 3 fellowship with God. But Adam sinned, and in that sin, that fellowship was destroyed. That relationship was broken. And so God tells them the consequences of that for Adam, for Eve, and for the serpent. And in dealing with those consequences, this is what he says in Genesis 3.15. He says to the serpent that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Now, we understand the serpent represents Satan, the enemy, the opposition to God. At some point, the seed of the woman, we would understand that now to be Christ, now we would, its going to crush all that is in opposition to God. Now, in the Old Testament, there are things that we call markers. There are, there are certain things that speak about something, look to something. Some of them are prophetic in nature. Some we don't realize speak about what we would call Jesus, but kind of point to that. There are markers that point towards God's doing something. If you just take a step back and you just read the Old Testament, you see that the Old Testament is moving in a direction. It's pointing to something. I say this all the time. You know, the Old Testament is a book that promises something, the New Testament fulfills it. What is it promising? What is it promising? Well, we're coming to Jesus. That's what it's promising. You look, at, you look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, after all the sin of the world, man is totally in rebellion against God. No one is worshiping God. He takes Abraham and he chooses him. He builds a covenant relationship with Abraham and says, I'm going to bless the world through you. How does he bless the world through Abraham? Is it the people of Israel? No. Because the people of Israel failed God miserably. They rejected God. How does God bless the world through Abraham? Well, we know it's through Jesus. When you come to the book of Exodus and you have Moses taking the Jewish people who are in Egypt and they're completely in slavery. I mean, they're, they're this most helpless, weakest people you can imagine. Here's the greatest nation in the world at that time, Egypt. You know, the Pharaoh was considered to be a god. The Israelites, the Hebrew people have no way of escaping and yet God, using Moses, delivers the people from Egypt and takes him to the land of his promise. This is a marker that's pointing towards something. You come to David, a man after God's own heart, and God takes David and says, You're going to have someone sit on the throne forever. Well, we know David didn't have a descendant sit on the throne forever. It ended with the Babylonians. What could that possibly mean? Well, we know he's pointing to something. He's a marker down the line. It was Jesus who fulfilled that. He is the son of David. We know, for instance, In the book of Isaiah, that that God tells us that there's going to come a servant who is going to suffer in Isaiah 52 and 53. There's a marker. There's pointing to someone. And then Jesus comes along. And in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, I didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets. He said, I didn't come to do away with the scriptures. I came to fulfill it. Now, that word to fulfill means to make it clear, to show you what the truth is. He said, I came to make it clear what all of the law and prophets point to, is to Jesus. So Jesus could say, if you have seen the Father, you have seen me. Jesus can say, I am the father of one. And Jesus tells them what's going to happen. He tells his followers, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die and be raised back up. Matthew 16, verse 21, he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to be raised back again on the third day. Mark chapter 9, verse 31, he says, I'm going to die, be raised back to life. Mark chapter 9, verse 32 and following, I'm going to die on the third day. I'll come back to life. In the book of John, John three fourteen, telling Nicodemus, talks about being lifted. It up. The idea being lifted up is to put on that cross. John 8, 28, I'm going to be lifted up. John chapter 12, verse 32, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be crucified. He keeps telling them what's going to happen. And then what happens? That happens. We think that Judas and, and, and Caiaphas and, and Pilate frustrated the plan of God. Judas betrayed his friend Jesus. Jesus was arrested. Caiaphas wanted to see Jesus dead, so he had the trial so that Jesus would die. Pilate gave in, and Pilate had Jesus crucified, and we see it looks like God's plan absolutely failed. But God's plan wasn't failing. God's plan was coming together. So here's the thing when Jesus said, I thirst. Jesus thirsted because he suffered. He suffered to fulfill the expectations of the cross. This was always God's plan. It was always God's plan for Christ to suffer and die for our sins. Now, who in their right mind would make this up? Early Christians wouldn't make that up. That's preposterous. It's ridiculous. Only one person would make this up. And that's not really a person, it's our Lord, it's God. This was his idea. Which brings me now to the second thing that I really want to share with you today. It's time to quit making stuff up, because that's what we do. We make stuff up. People inside the church, people outside the church, they just make stuff up. I mean, the very idea that the early church made things up is just people making stuff up, because there's no evidence for that. I hear people say, even inside the church, it's becoming more and more popular now, I hear people say, all religions are the same. Well, they're not all the same. What other religion has Jesus, has, has the Son of God coming to die for your sins and be raised back to life? None have that. They couldn't possibly think of that. I mean, how many religions that we know of have these crazy ideas? There are religions that actually believe it's still okay to sacrifice children to their gods or goddesses. And there's religions who believe that if a woman, if something happens to her, if she gets raped, if she gets assaulted, that somehow she's dishonored her husband or dishonored her father, and they can kill her for that. How is that the same as Christianity? We just make stuff up. We make up the idea of the resurrection. People say, well, the resurrection didn't really happen, even though all the evidence points to it. I have preached message after message about the resurrection. I have preached at least two major series about it. One was last January. Go back in the archives of our sermon series, about our sermon series. And I'm explaining to you how they saw the resurrected Jesus, and all the evidence bears this out. We make stuff up all the time. We make up stuff like, well, in the end, everybody will be saved, even though they won't. I mean, Jesus, he turned to one thief that was on the cross, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. What did he say to the other thief? Nothing. Why? Because he wasn't going to be saved. They don't all get saved. We make stuff up all the time. We say things like, well, you know, if you're good enough, you can get to heaven. Well, if good enough works, why did Jesus go to the cross to pay for all the sins? People are just making stuff up. When the truth is that God had a plan all along. And whether we like it or not, his plan meant that Jesus had to go to the cross. So here's the thing. What does the cross teach us? As we've been talking about Jesus on the cross, here's what we know. Man has lived in a rebellion against God. We do. We live in rebellion against God. We sin against God. We are in constant rebellion. It is our nature. It is our inclination to rebel completely against God. And so man sins. Mankind, humanity, young or old, male or female, we sin against God. It's what we do. The second thing the cross tells us is this. and This is, this is wild, but God was and is always in control. You know, that, that, God didn't lose control on the cross, <laughs> God was in control. We're going to see that in two weeks when Jesus said, All right, Father, into your hands I give my spirit. I mean, Jesus, he's deciding his terms. God is absolutely in control of what happens. It doesn't always seem like it. We talked about that a lot last week, that God allows man to make choices. And in those choices, he allows things to kind of work themselves out. But at some point, God is going to do things absolutely his way. The cross was God saying enough. Man has sinned. Man has rebelled. Man has done all these things. And at the cross, God said, that's it. Now we're going to do it my way. And Jesus is going to die for our sins. And God's going to raise him back to life. Here's the other thing, the third thing we need to see. That from the beginning of man's sin, then, the cross was the destination. That's what this means. And we just go back. You see in the Old Testament all those markers pointing to things, the prophecies, that point. I mean, everything points to the cross. From the beginning, from the time Adam sinned, the cross was always the destination. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't an afterthought. This is what God determined. The cross that Jesus would suffer. And if that's true, then here's the thing. The suffering of Jesus was necessary to pay for our sin. It was the only way. And I know sometimes we don't understand that and we can't grasp it, but that's just how it is. The cross, the suffering of Jesus, that's how our sins were paid for. It's the way God decided. Who in their right mind would do that but God? God. One of the most important things I ever learned, you know, when my, my first, shared this before, my first day of seminary, my very first class, when I was working on my master's, the, the professor walks in and the first thing he said to us is this the Bible is clearest at the cross. And I never forgot that because it's one of the greatest things I've ever learned. And the Bible is clear at the cross that God, in His great love for us, sent Jesus to die for our sins. The other day, I was uh, kind of driving around in my car. I've been kind of cooped up. We're all kind of isolated. i been cooped up in my office, and I wanted to drive around. I know we're only supposed to drive, you know, go to the grocery store. So I was taking like the the long way to Walmart, put it that way. So I was driving around. And I was just thinking about, you know, the, the coronavirus and how we as a church have to respond, what do we do, how do we touch people, how do we minister to folks, you know, that, that weighs on your mind. It's based on all our minds, I know that. As a pastor, it does. And then I started thinking about the sermon, how do I connect to people, how do we do this live stream. You know, I know Brian was going to do a good job, but it how, how do we do all this. And I have some music in the background because I just kind of have music when I'm thinking. And, and I know you would like to think that the music I have was some inspirational Christian uh, song. It really, it really wasn't. It, I was listening on Sirius XM to The Bridge. And uh, the Moody Blues came on. The Moody Blues from the 60s and 70s, and I love them. And the song came on, it's entitled Question. Question is written by the lead singer, Justin Hayward. It's really just this cool song. And and so when it came on, I turned up the music. And the song Question is really complicated. It's got some complicated lyrics in it and the theme, and, and without going into all that. But in this song, at some point, these are the words that Justin Hayward sings. I'm looking for someone to change my life. I'm looking for a miracle in my life. And when he said that, after all I've been thinking, it was like, I know who can change your life. I know who brought that miracle. And that is Jesus. Jesus is the one who changes our life. He's the one because of the miracle of the cross where he died and took all our sins. And then after he died, God raised him back to life. I don't know if you've ever trusted Christ to be your Savior. But I want to invite you right now to do that. Because there's no more important decision you can ever make. Because regardless of whatever you've done, regardless of however you live, lived, regardless of how you live right now, regardless of whatever sin is in your life right now, Jesus will change all of that through the miracle of the cross. And it wasn't an afterthought. You were never an afterthought to God it was always God's plan for Jesus to go and die for you. And in just a moment, and Brian and the band are going to come back and they're going to sing a song. It's kind of a commitment and kind of wrap it up. And then Joe will come up. But, but here's the thing. If you've never trusted Christ, why don't you do that? And if you are a follower of Jesus, why don't you just praise God and thank God for the salvation of Jesus. Worship him and thank him that Jesus saved you. And think about those people you know who don't know Christ and pray for them. And during that song, if, if you want one of the pastors to talk to you, like right now, and when that song comes up, there'll be a, a phone number that'll be up there. You can text, respond to that phone number, and we've got guys right now who will respond to you. And, and if you don't want to respond now, but you want to talk to one of us, you can email us later on today or this week. You can email info at or take. If you want to talk to one of the pastors, go on our website, find which pastor you want, first name. First initial, their last name, then at FBCLasCruces.com. And listen, we're going to get back to you. If you have a prayer request, we'll get back to you. You can go online and submit prayer requests, what you need. Listen, we love you. We care for you. We know these are crazy times. But understand this. is so important. Everything fits to God's plan. Everything fits to God's plan. And that plan was at the cross. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. And though we don't always understand the way sin goes, we don't always understand the way our lives go. We know you love us deeply. Love us so much you sent Christ. and The cross was never a failure. The cross was always part of your plan. And when Jesus suffered, and when he said, I thirst, it was a reminder that everything that was going on in life was coming right where you wanted it to be, to the cross. And so it is to the cross we come. To praise you and glorify you in Christ's name. Amen.